Hi, my name is Katie Blummer, and my passion is helping women learn how to put themselves first. I learned all the tools for success on my own 12-year journey that has led me to finally figuring out how to live my best life. My journey included overcoming body image issues and yo-yo dieting, climbing the corporate ladder to a multiple six-figure career, navigating mom guilt through a 60-hour work week, turning around marriage issues, and much more. Now I'm truly living my best life, and I've pretty much become obsessed with teaching others my tried and true methods for creating balance, maintaining healthy habits, improving your relationship, career development, and how to stop tying your value and worth to the way you look and how you serve others. I'm so passionate about helping others learn this that I created the Working Mom Happiness Method to help you get there too. So if you're ready to learn how to live your best life, pull up a chair or put on your walking shoes and get ready to dive in. This is the Working Mom Happiness Method podcast. Hi, and welcome to the episode all about career development. I'm so excited about this one. And I said episode, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be episodes, maybe two, maybe three. We'll see where it goes because I like to keep these short and sweet, given that we're all busy. So, but really excited. And the thing that I want to point out before we even jump in is that really everything we've done and worked on and talked about up to this point is career development. And we'll get into that just a little bit more as we dive in and we talk about some of the most important things. But the reality is there this whole concept of work life and personal life and keeping the two separate has to go. It has to go. And that's controversial because those of us who grew up in the cor- corporate world, we learned exactly the opposite, separate them, work life, personal life, keep them separate. Now, what I'm talking about here is not... Um, that you should be talking about your religion and your politics at work. It's it's not that. It's that what happens to you in your work life impacts your personal life, and what happens to you in your personal life impacts your work, work life. And it's just all one life. And the reality is we spend, on average, and, and this has been like surveyed, we spend one-third of our adult lives, waking hours, our adult waking hours at work. Now, that's if you work a 40-hour work week. A lot of us work more hours than that, right? We have different schedules, but a third of your waking hours that doesn't include sleep will be spent at work in your adult life. And I I don't say that to sound depressing. Um, If it does sound super depressing, then you're probably in the wrong job. I think a lot of us are, and we can talk a little bit more about that in in a minute. Uh, And you probably would have already learned that in the beginning of the program as well as you went through your 90-year-old self-exercise, your one-year-to-live exercise, your values, your goals, all of that. So by now, if you started from the beginning, which I highly recommend you probably, if you are in the wrong job, you probably know that. And I get that it's not the easiest thing to make that change or get into the right job, but hopefully you're already working on that. So I'm not saying the third of the life thing to, to depress us. I'm saying it to motivate you to start looking at it as all one life. And we're going to talk about why that's important as we get into it. Uh, Before we jump into the agenda and what I want to cover in these episodes on career development, I want to talk to you a little bit about my own journey, high level, and it'll give you the backdrop for how I've learned career development personally. So I started working for American Express when I was 19 years old because my mom worked there for 15 years and she knew they had tuition reimbursement. And so when I was getting ready to start college, 
she said, hey, you should come get a job here because they will help pay for college. And I was like, yeah, that's amazing. So I got the job. I uh, was doing customer service and I would work from 6 to 2.30 doing customer service. So on the phones, taking customer phone calls. And then I would go to school from like 3 to 10. It was actually really, really super exhausting, to be honest. Um, However, I think one of the important components of this for you to know is that I grew up in a blue collar, lower middle class, you know, working family. Both my parents worked. I definitely had parent privilege. I want to recognize this because both my parents were so loving and supporting, supportive and, and I always had, um, you know, everything, food, everything I needed. I was all, always able to play sports. Um, but certainly uh, my parents didn't have a lot, lot of money. When we traveled, we went camping, that sort of thing. I did not go to an Ivy League school. I went to Westminster College in Salt Lake City. It's a it's a good school, um, but certainly is um, not anything close to, you know, a fancy Ivy League school. I do not have an MBA. I have a bachelor's degree in computer science. And so I think the moral of this story is that if I can do this, you can do this. You know, anyone can do this. And so I started there at 19 and with no plans to have necessarily a corporate career, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I majored in computer science because it, it quite frankly, accepted all of my AP classes from high school and saved me a whole, um, almost two years of college. So I graduated with a bachelor's degree in two and a half years of college. And that's why I chose that major because it was all applicable. And I knew computer science could apply to whatever job or career that I chose. So got the job at Amex, and um, up until I hit burnout, right, a year ago, well, I guess that was two years ago. I've been back to Amex a year after taking a year off for burnout. But up until I hit burnout, never left, uh, because it's an excellent, wonderful company, wonderful company who supports diversity and um, inclusion, and all the DEI things absolutely walk the talk, put their money where their, their mouth is. Uh, you get women get six months maternity leave, men get five months paternity leave. Um, I just always, always loved it as a company and I never left. So I continued to grow there. So I've been on the phones. I've been the person who does the work. I've been the person doing the spreadsheets and um, creating the PowerPoint presentations, spending hours and hours on those. I've also been the leader and I've been everywhere in between. So now um, having these larger roles, I've had global roles across the U.S., leading large teams. I've hired people. I've fired people. I've done all of the things in between there. And what I'm going to share with you in this episode is what I learned were the most important things for career development along my journey and what I've now learned over the last few years coaching others. Well, to be honest with you, I've been coaching others in their careers for years. I mean, literally, probably 10 to 15 years since I've been a, a leader, right? Since I've had people reporting to me as a leader, I've done career development or and um, helped them and supported them in career development. So also what I'm going to share is what I've learned in helping, coaching, mentoring others through their career. So that's just a little bit about me and my story and kind of where I came from. So hopefully that helps to set the stage for you of where I'm coming from. And then the other thing I want to mention before sort of jumping into, you know, the the official agenda of what I want to cover here is that the two absolutely most important things for career development in my experience for women are body image and boundaries. And that might be surprising to you, 
because we don't typically hear, I think we hear boundaries, but I think when we hear boundaries, we think, ooh, that's scary, that if you want career development, you can't have boundaries and you have to do all the things and prove yourself and create this brand. And, and yes, you do need to create a, a brand, but I promise you, it doesn't need to be somebody who works around the clock in order to develop your career. Um, but we certainly don't think of body image when we think of career development. So body image and boundaries, and here's why. Because as uh, women, society has taught us that our value and our worth comes from how we look and serving all of those around us, doing things for others, aka lack of having boundaries. And so we have deep-seated subconscious programming related to our own self-worth and our value in those two areas. And so if you can overcome your body image issues, and, and I don't mean, when I say overcome, I don't mean, you know, you you never think negatively about your body or you don't have any struggles. I mean, you learn to accept, appreciate, respect, and love your current body. And I don't necessarily even mean the way it looks. I mean, the fact that it carries you through life. And remember, remember, this is, I've said it so many times, I'm like a broken record throughout this program. The cure for negative body image is not weight loss. I'll say it again. The cure for negative body image is not weight loss. The cure for negative body image is changing your mindset to believe that your value and your worth in this world, in this life, have nothing to do with the way that your body looks. You are inherently valuable and worthy, and you have value and worth in so many other areas. The least interesting thing about you is how your body looks or how much you weigh or your body size. And if you don't learn how to chip away at that, which by the way, we have covered in this program in many episodes, right? So I think you're already working on it, having that awareness, spinning it into more positive, spending time look at your, looking at your body more, all of the things that we've talked about. If you don't learn how to do those things, even if you lose a bunch of weight, you will still think you need to lose weight and you still won't appreciate, respect, love your body, right? So that is critical. And, and also, if you don't work on that, it is highly unlikely that you will find the confidence you need to have the career development that you want. It is very, very difficult to develop in your career. You can you can develop. I mean, I I I did um, develop a couple of career levels before I fixed my body image, but I was in the same level for eight years. And it wasn't until I started my body image therapy that I really started climbing, getting promoted, getting to those in those more um, speaking up in those more senior meetings, that type of a thing, because I started to realize that I didn't have to hide and shrink. And that is what we subconsciously do when we dislike or are embarrassed about our bodies. Um, and I get this is not easy. And I also get it doesn't apply to every single woman, right? Some of um, some of you don't struggle with body image, which is awesome, but you're rare. And that's why I'm speaking to this. And that's why I'm saying it's so important. And then the boundaries thing uh, we're going to talk about as we jump in here. So important. So what I want to cover uh, is today, it, well, today <laughs> in this episode, and probably like I said, two to three episodes, is uh, what does career development mean to you? We're going to talk about self-care. We're going to talk about work psychology. Love this topic. Leadership relationships, and then tactics and strategy. So I'm going to cover the whole gamut from the personal life aspect that I talked about, which I think is the most important for career development. But I will also go into just some of the more traditional 
what do I do actually in my job to help develop my career? We're going to talk about that too. Okay. So first and foremost, where we're going to start is what does career development mean to you? That is the first step in your career development journey is really sitting down and thinking deeply about what does it mean? And I think traditionally we think about career development as promotion. Um, And that's fine if that's part of your journey and what you want in in your goals. And then there's this whole aspect of career development that, you know, there there are a whole group of folks and, and maybe you're one of them where, you know, you are happy in your current role and you want to continue growing and learning. And that's what helps keep you motivated and excited. And then there are, you know, levels in between where maybe you started a new role, so you're not interested in looking for promotion now, but you do want to stay on that track, that journey where you are, you know, continuous improvement and development. So you are ready once you've been in your role a few years and you're ready for the next thing. Maybe it's promotion, maybe it's a lateral move, whatever it is, but really just sitting down to think deeply about what career development means for you. And maybe some of that came up for you way back in the first module when we talked about values and what you were thinking about there. So sit down and have a really great think about that. All right, now we're going to talk about self-care. And this is going to get even deeper into where I said personal life, work life, it's all one life. So outside of the the body image and the boundaries thing that I mentioned, and I think this actually relates to both of those, the single most important thing that you can do for career development, and especially if you feel like you're in a career rut, like if you are somebody who – you feel like you're qualified for a promotion, you're undervalued at work, you're ready for that next step, but you keep getting passed up, like it's not just hap- it's just not happening for you and you don't understand why. The most important thing you can do is your five non-negotiables that we've talked about throughout the podcast from, you know, in multiple episodes. So these are drink water, drinking enough water, getting enough sleep, moving your body, getting the nutrition you need, eating, you know, nutritious foods, foods that make you feel good and stress management, those five things. So if you are struggling with those five things, start there, forget about all the traditional career development things. I I really mean that, like forget about those things and start there. And I'm not saying you need to perfect these five things before, you know, your career can start developing because they're, they're obviously not easy to perfect. Um, but just focusing there, getting yourself a fun, cute water bottle that you take with you everywhere and you drink your water. Yes. Like, I mean, that might sound crazy or ridiculous to you that drinking water will develop your career. I promise it will. We've talked about it before. Our bodies, three-fourths of our bodies are made up of water. If you're not getting enough water, you're not going to feel good. Your brain's not functioning at its top capacity. And if you don't feel good and your brain's not functioning well, you're not going to do as well in your career as you could. Just fact, like straight up fact. When I first heard this, it was kind of like blew my mind that these these non-negotiables would help my career. And they absolutely have. This is I have proven this. Women who I've worked with and coached have proven this. 100% you start here. And um, these things will help you have more confidence. They'll help you have more confidence to set boundaries. And they will also help your body feel better and feel stronger. And when our body feels better and feels stronger that is a part of um, helping chip away at negative body image issues because you just feel better. When you feel bad, it's easier to hate on your body, okay? So these are huge and and massive. So this, this is the starting point for career development, okay? And I cannot emphasize that enough. 
boundaries and saying no. I, you know, I mentioned it before. The fear for most of the women who I work with with boundaries is either you're going to come across as a bitch, right? Because society expects women to say yes and serve all those around us. And when we don't fit that mold and we have boundaries, we can be labeled as bitchy. And um, some of that is out of our control. You know, obviously the way we say things matter, but I don't think most women are saying things in rude ways. I, I don't like the term bitchy. I'm using it because that's what society uses. So I might just actually like probably not use it that much as we go on, but I want to be very clear that that is a stigma. And I know that women are afraid of that. I think most of us aren't saying things in rude ways. We're just shocking people by um, having boundaries and standing up for ourselves and speaking up. And that's a societal thing to to give us that label. So I actually think pe- people ask me a lot. One of the most common questions I get with de- career development is how do I have boundaries? How do I speak up without sounding bitchy? And a lot of what I tell them is uh, it's, it's but just by doing it, just by us as women coming to the table, speaking up, not letting ourselves get interrupted, doing that more and more will uh, make it more common in society and take away the stigma more. So it's like exposure therapy. The more you do it, the more comfortable you're going to feel with it, the less you're going to have that fear of coming across that way. And the more all of us collectively do it, the less that we're going to have that societal stigma. Uh, I will say that I I personally have been lucky enough at my company to actually never have have felt that way. I've always felt, um, well, after I worked on like my own issues, my own body image and confidence issues, I always felt um, like I I could speak up and would be heard. And that's another reason why American Express is just such a fabulous company. But I know that's not the case for everybody. Um, it's probably not even the case for everybody within American Express, but it's certainly not the case for everybody across varying companies. And so we all have to work on this together to help change uh, this societal stigma and um, help lift each other up in these ways. So, but that's a lot of the fear around setting boundaries and around saying no. The other fear is that you will lose the brand or the reputation that you've built. A lot of us become very successful because we are people-pleasing, overachieving perfectionists. And um, it is really a tricky thing that uh, corporate society, and and let's be honest, entrepreneurship, and that's the other thing I didn't mention too, in addition to the career development, sort of my high-level story that I shared with you earlier, I have also been, I have had my own business and been an entrepreneur now now coming up on two, two years. So I'm a baby entrepreneur, obviously, but I have felt all of the, um, ups and downs and the roller coaster and the fears with that. It is scary. I've, so I felt the imposter syndrome within the corporate world, but also within the entrepreneurial world. And um, I actually think the entrepreneurial one is a little bit scarier, if I'm being honest, but they're they're both scary in their own way. Um, anyway, getting back to the boundaries thing, um, people are worried that it will hurt this brand that they've built. So the, the whole overachieving, people-pleasing, perfectionist mindset gets you really far in both the corporate and the entrepreneuring world. And it's not healthy. It's not sustainable. We we get a lot of um we get a lot of praise from it. You get praise, you can get high ratings in your company for acting that way, but those three things, people-pleasing, perfectionism, overachieving, they are not healthy. They are not good things. I used to think of them as like good things because 
I was rewarded in my career for them for the longest time. But what was interesting is it wasn't until I started to gain confidence and stop doing those things that my career really started to take off. Um, And especially after the burnout, especially coming back to the corporate world after burnout with hardcore boundaries, which I've only really been doing for the last year. I, I did have boundaries before because I was on this journey before I got to burnout. Um, but I like the getting over the fear of leaving, which was the most terrifying decision I, I, I really think of my life. Well, may, maybe top, top two. One was more related to my marriage, which I've talked about in the past, but top two most terrifying decisions of my life when I got past that fear and then un, was able to truly unravel, unlink my value and worth from that overachieving performance at work, coming back in with boundaries, it's been the best year so far of my corporate you know, 20 years. It's felt amazing. I've, I've done, you know, I've done really well. I haven't lost my brand. Um, and I've really been able to have that time to focus on the things that matter to me, strategy and leadership, um, the, the really super important things, DE and I, that sort of thing. Um, so this whole thing about if I say no, if I have boundaries, I'll lose my reputation, I'll lose my brand. That's actually not how it works. You actually come across as more confident when you do those things, and it frees up space for you to basically better utilize your brain, be more strategic thinking, ask, ask more questions. Um, and then as you start to get the confidence, as I mentioned, from the body image things and, and all the things that we've been working on, the morning routine, the five non-negotiables, all the things in the program – you're going to feel more comfortable speaking up, and that's how you're more likely to get noticed. And that's really, you know, a big part of where career development comes from, okay? So along with having boundaries, and you get to decide what your boundaries look like, right? We did the whole exercise back in Module 3, the boundaries module, where you set boundaries with yourself, boundaries with friends and family, and boundaries at work. So maybe after listening to this uh, career development um, section of the podcast, you might want to go back and tweak some of your boundaries at work. Maybe not. Maybe you've got the right ones in play, but you get to decide what they are. Uh, And it is a complete game changer. One of the things that I changed coming back uh, with hardcore boundaries and being brave and having the courage is I don't start in the morning as early as I used to start. In fact, I actually... As a, as a rule, I don't take meetings before 10 a.m. Salt Lake time. And that is terrifying because 10 a.m. Salt Lake time is noon Eastern. And I work with a lot of folks in New York. So basically what I'm saying is I don't take meetings before noon Eastern. Like cray cray in the corporate world <laughs> and I am doing it and it feels amazing. I'm going to tell you why this has been life-changing for me and why a morning routine – well, I already told you why a morning routine can be life-changing back in that episode, but I'm going to tell you a a special reason as it relates to this. It gives me the time in the morning – because I'm not like sleeping in now that I start work later. It gives me the time in the morning – I still get up early – to be present with my kids. I make their lunches. I make them breakfast. I talk to them during that time. First thing I do is get up and do my morning routine that we talked about. And then in the middle of that, I, I talk to them, make their breakfast, have quality time with them in the morning, which is awesome because I have their attention too. That's not the time where they're like doing other things or distracted by things. And then I'm able to move my body. And that looks like either going to an exercise class or going out and walking my dog. And I love getting outside and going for a walk in the morning. I think that's great. There are lots of benefits to everything I just described. One of the massive benefits that I have learned over the last year from taking back control of my mornings 
it makes it feel like your job doesn't take up your entire day. So old me before, I would commonly start at 6.30 a.m., 7 a.m., anywhere around that 7.30 a.m. because, you know, working more on Eastern time here in the mountain time zone. And when you start work that way and you roll out of bed, you look at your phone first thing, you're scrolling social media, right? You're looking at your email. Uh, First of all, you start your mindset out on a negative spiral. You start with stress and negativity, and that is not how we want to start our day. I talk all about this in the morning routine episode, so go back and listen if you didn't listen to that one yet. You start your day negatively, but then, you know, you just immediately roll into getting ready, getting kids ready, getting them off to like, if you take them to daycare or whatever, and then you just go to work. And so really your whole morning feels like a mad rush. And then it just feels like work. The whole purpose is I got to go. I got to get ready. I got to start work. Right. Whereas when you take back control of your mornings and you start them on a positive spiral and you do a few things for yourself, It starts to then feel like work doesn't take over my entire life. I have some time for myself and my life in the morning, and I have some time for myself and my life after work. It's it's life-changing. I mean, just that, it sounds simple. I know it's not simple. It's a lot easier said than done to execute this. But just breaking up your day in that way where your, your whole week doesn't feel like work, it gets rid of like the what is it, the Sunday scaries, right, where you're dreading Monday morning, because I know that Monday morning, I'm going to wake up and I have this routine I'm going to do, and it's going to feel much more similar to a weekend morning, except I I do wake up earlier on the weekdays because I need to get the kids out and get them ready for school. I wake up earlier than I do, but the, the feel of it is still very much the same. It's not get up and rush into work and distressful things, because I really do ignore work until that like 9, 9.30 rolls around, and that's when I get started, whereas before it was legit two to three hours before that. So that is uh, has been a game changer and one of my most successful boundaries around work that I'm loving. Okay, so those are really all important self-care things as it relates to, to career development. The other thing that I love is... Um, planning your days off and your vacation early in the year. I do this over the holiday break, which is actually, we're just about to start as I'm recording this. It's late December and I have this week coming up and then I'm off for two weeks at the end. And that's when I like to sit down um, with my husband and we plan out our vacations for the year and I get those on the calendar. Um, Because having those to look forward to, those vacations and days off, is so great for your brain to have something to look forward to coming up. So get them on the calendar. If you book them earlier in the year, uh, you're going to be way less likely to have things that come up where you can't take them, where you can't do them. So that has been just a game changer for me. And it's helped me stick to boundaries even when important things come up. Like for me, one of the important things in my job would be, for example, if regulators were coming coming in to examine us, that would be very important. But if I have a whole week-long vacation that was booked months before that regulatory exam was even on the calendar, then everybody's going to understand that I'm still taking that vacation. I'm, I'm not going to cancel that vacation, and that's a boundary that I have. I'm still going to take that vacation. You know, even if something big pops up at work, I'm not going to cancel it, and that's been an excellent boundary. And all these things lend themselves to you feeling better overall in life, which will lend you to better performance at work. 
protecting your energy and planning accordingly is huge. We talked about this back in the episode on protecting your energy, but I want to bring it up and remind you here because it is game-changing for career development. Um, There's a book I'm going to talk about, uh, two books I'm going to talk about later, Eat That Frog, and the one thing that lend themselves towards this, and I highly recommend it. I can link them in the show notes too. Uh, but I, I'll talk about them a little bit late, probably in the next episode, because we're getting close to our 30-minute mark here. I'm probably going to wrap us up in just a minute for this episode. But um, understanding your energy, understanding f- for you, for your own sort of like circadian rhythms, when do you have more energy, when do you have less energy, planning hard things in the day when you have more energy, or, or, or for most of us earlier in the day, not all of us, but most And then planning easier, more mindless tasks for when you have less energy. And then also planning around your period. So planning around your monthly cycle. Put on your calendar when your, um, you know, most sort of significant PMS feeling days are. For me, that's two days before my period and the two days, the the first two days of it. I, I put those on my calendar. And then that tells me in advance not to book hard things, not to go to you know big events those days, to really more try to take it easy and leave those days as free as I possibly can because I'm going to be exhausted. I'm going to not be as you know in in as good of a mood or or feeling as high energy as I normally do. And that's for me. I don't even actually my honestly my periods like aren't even that bad, but it really helps and it's really been a game changer. And you can use period tracking apps, which I highly recommend. Um, I use one called Flow. Uh, to plan that out to two to three months in advance. So as, lo- as soon as you stay on, as long as you stay on top of it, you're going to have um, that set up, and you're going to know what those days are. Okay, and then just the the thing I'll leave you with before I wrap up this episode is all of the most successful people. Okay, all's a strong word. A lot of most, many, the ones that we've all heard of, the biggest, you know, most successful, most famous people for being successful, they have morning routines. And, you know, I've I've seen this come up. Um, I don't know if it's lately, but recently I've been seeing it on my feed, like entrepreneurs who are saying, oh, you don't have to have an, a morning routine to be successful, especially if you're not a morning person. I just sort of like do whatever I go with the flow. And that and that's fine. Like you can customize this and, and do what works for you. Um, but the reality is, especially if you're in the corporate world, our world runs on a nine to five clock, right? The, the sort of nine to five corporate world, to be honest with you, it's all based on men, men's hormones, big shocker, right? Men run on a daily hormonal cycle versus our monthly hormonal cycle, but it's all based on that. And that is the way the world runs. And I don't see that changing, um, anytime super soon. So if you can create a morning routine and you can get up and start your day with a positive spiral instead of a negative one, and that doesn't even mean you have to wake up super early if that's hard for you. Some of us will do that in order to make this work and some of us won't. If you can start your day off that way, I I promise, and especially if you follow the morning routine that I recommend in the morning routine episode and you create your best life master plan document, which we talk about um, specifically in episode three, you can get a link to that and that's where I introduce it. Go, Go take a look. It will change your life and it will change your career and it will lead you to becoming more successful. Like I promise, I have no doubt it has done that for 100% of the people who I work with. So get I am up on my soapbox a little bit about that, but I believe so, so incredibly passionately in it because it changed my life and it's changed many of uh, the lives of the women who I have worked with. So, all right, we're going to stop it there because I think I'm actually over 30 minutes at this point. And then we are going to cover... Uh, the next topics in probably the next two episodes, I think. All right. So thank you so much for listening. 
As always, if you're getting value from this, please, please share it with others. Um, That's the whole goal of of putting all of this out here for free on the podcast is to just help as many women, humans, moms, people as possible. And the other thing too that I want to just throw out a reminder is that um, I have moved my program into companies and I am so, so excited about it. So what that looks like is the 10-week Working Mom Happiness Method program where we cover all the things we cover here on the podcast can be done in a group at your company. So if you think your company might be interested in me coming and running this as a group program there, please reach out to me on Instagram. I'm at Katie Blummer. Um, That's in the, the show notes or the website, which is in the show notes. You can contact me there. But please reach out to me and connect me with whoever I would need to talk to to do that because I'm so excited about it. And we can do it with big groups at your company too. It doesn't have to be a small group. And I feel like this is such a great way um, for companies to support DE&I initiatives and to make women's working moms' lives better and happier. So let me know if your company might be interested in that. And I'll talk to you in the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to the Working Mom Happiness Method. If you liked what you heard, please be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share it with others who might benefit from listening. For show notes or to enroll in the Working Mom Happiness Method coaching courses, visit www.womensbestlifeuniversity.com.